Hello, it's Vikas Pota, Chairman of the Vaki Foundation. You are listening to a session from our Global Education and Skills Forum, a place where leading politicians, businesses, philanthropists, activists, and of course, the world's best teachers share, debate, and discover new ways for education to transform our world. Keep the global conversation going and share your thoughts on the topics discussed with the hashtag GESF. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I am Ana Pessoa. Um, it's an honor to be here uh, moderating this session. I am just the moderator of this session. I am not representing my organization, but I'm very happy to be here uh, with these very bright folks. Uh, and I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting discussion. So today, the conversation is going to be about you know, the, the idea of this traditional classroom uh, has been challenged for many, many years, as we know. And there have been multiple attempts to try to figure out what are the best solutions, what are the best methodologies. So the question is, should we innovate or should we disrupt education? Should we think about schools in a different way? Do they need to be torn down and implement a completely new system? This is the conversation that we're going to have here. Uh, and we want to find answers to these questions around disruption and innovation. The idea here is to bring the best of what's happening in the field with the teachers. What are the methodologies? What are the strategies and technologies that they're using today? And we have here represented the Varki teacher ambassadors um, together with the research. So what are the insights in new research around learning sciences? So I'm very happy to introduce in this panel, we're going to have Arnaud Doucet, uh, who is also is a Varki teacher ambassador and Francis Jim Tucano, who is also a Varki teacher uh, ambassador. They're going to start off the panel, and then we're going to hand over to Hannah Dumont uh, and um, Amy Ogan, who are both researchers sponsored by the Jacobs Foundation. So let's begin. Uh, let's start off with um, Arno and Jim. What are your ideas for the classroom of the future? And what kind of technological support would you really, do you really see are helpful? Uh, I'm going to start off with saying that it's nuanced. So depending on where you are around the world, it's going to change. It, it cannot be a one-size-fits-all, and it should not be a one-size-fits-all for wherever you are. So part of the research from my new book coming out in May was that I traveled to 20 different countries since September to see what are the differences in educational systems. And some systems really struggle with rural versus urban. So if that's a struggle, then the way you're going to approach uh, technology integration is going to be very different, and the way you're going to approach the pedagogical approach is going to be very different because there's issues there. Mm -hmm. If you have a system that can't afford technology integration for everyone, then you're going to have a different system again, right? So it really needs to be a nuanced approach, and that's the first, first thing that I really want to say. There's no one-size-fits-all model, that's for sure. In, in my context in Canada, it's how can I enhance it from a great pedagogical approach. Yeah. If it doesn't enhance my classroom, it should not be in my classroom. So part of the issue that we have as teachers is that we don't have time to go look at everything. And, and I really liked what the chairman said uh, today, Mr. Barkey, when he talked about it shouldn't be ed tech, it should be education. So that changes the approach on how you design things in ed tech. It really does, because now you need to bring the teacher voice on what's happening in the classroom. 
And it's not an academic approach to the classroom, it's a ground up approach to the classroom. So, but that's against sort of technology's vision of what they've been doing. The Uber model should not work in education. It shouldn't be just disruptive. It really needs to be designed hand in hand together for what our context is. So to me, if you have a great pedagogical approach, that's first and foremost, no matter what. Then after that, it's how can we enhance it? So if you have technology integration that can help with instant feedback for all, that's key. If you'd be able to bring in the greater community so that you have multiple voices for that feedback, that can help out. Can we have digital portfolios so that we can look back at competencies and say, did you see here in terms of communication how the other person reacted to you? So if that's the situation, what do you think you could have done better? Could you have had an open-ended question? Could you have accepted what they had to say? And then by doing that, you're actually looking at competencies, really. Because right now, everybody's talking about competencies, critical thinking, problem solving, creativity. But the reality is, as, as educators, we're not trained for that. We're trained for curriculum content, and we're trained to make sure that we do the assessment properly. And that's our, basically our professional development when we go to initial teacher education. So if that's the case, and now you're asking us to pivot towards competencies and towards skill base and towards social emotional learning, well, we need help with that. But most systems around the world are just gonna drop it on you and say, hey, good luck. Mm -hmm. So how do you expect any innovation in the classroom when you drop this on and we already have a bunch of curriculum outcomes that we need to meet, and then you have standardized testing, which is the biggest lobbying group in the world for education, that's, we now need to meet these results. Mm. No wonder you're having cheating scandals in the US. Right? It makes total sense because that's what they need to teach to. So if you're going to ask to put in technology integration, you need the professional development time to do so, but we also need the professional development time for the actual pedagogical stuff that we need to put in as well. So to me, it really is how is it going to enhance what I need to do in the classroom to personalize for my own kids. Great. How about you, Jim? Yeah, um, I'm going to shake it a little nervous. Um, <laughs> I'm Jim from the Philippines. So my approach to the question will be a little different. It will really, really come from my own experience in the Philippines. Um, first off, I am very fortunate to, to be the ed tech coordinator of a school that's very progressive in the Philippines. We do a lot of technology integration, but I do also go out of my school and really look at the context of everyone. Um, in the Philippines, our problem, our challenges is on equity, access to technology, mm -hmm. tools, and everything. So the question on classroom for, of the future, I would agree with, uh, I agree with Armand um, talking about pedag uh, pedagogy and everything, but the classroom of the future is not, for me, is not really just the classroom within the four walls of, the, of a room. The classroom of the future is the learner, right? Technology tools change all the time. And what's ha really happening right now is that even if you're in a very progressive country, you're always catching up with the changes with technology. Mm -hmm. um, I read something about technological de determinism where we let technology determine the way of the things in the classroom and in education. I feel like we're far smarter than machines, right? We always ask, will teachers be replaced by AI or whatever? Um, if teachers continue on teaching in a very traditional way, I would agree. Robots will replace teachers. But there are certain things that AI, for example, cannot teach. Humanity, being human, for example, right? 
So the classroom of the future is that something that puts the learner at the center. Whether you use advanced technology tools, in our case in the Philippines, we've been, right, in this forum, we've been talking about the fourth industrial revolution. In the Philippines, a lot of them, a lot of our places in the Philippines, our schools do not have even electricity. So the discussion of the fourth industrial revolution is not even a reality in our place. So what we're trying to do is that we try to approach everything in a way that does not leave any learner behind, whether we use technology tools or whatever kind of tool. In my experience, um, going around in the Philippines, so I do a lot of teacher training based on my experience in the classroom. I was given the opportunity to work on an administrative level and really look into how technology integration is done. Based on my experience, four things really matter. Number one, we need to work on the curriculum. Whether you, if you put something technological, technologically advanced in the classroom, if the way the teachers teach or students learn is not very, very 21st century learning, the whole thing will not thrive or grow. Technology leadership, it's not only about the teachers, it's about school leaders. The problem is that we give a lot of tools to teachers, but if you ask their school leaders, they don't have any vision, right? Professional development for teachers, that's very, very important, because you will put them at the front line of the battle. Last, access. Learning environment that is very, very accessible. Building a good learning space, not just with tools, but even the way in terms of safety for our students. Digital safety. All those things should be put into that I call it the whole school approach into technological innovation. Yeah, that's super interesting. I mean, having the technology, the, having the, infra the basic infrastructure in place to then build upon that, right? Yeah. So, Amy and Hannah, uh, from the research side, what are you guys finding in terms of new learning science and new learning based on the methodologies uh, that are being exposed in the classroom? <coughs> Yeah, so actually when we were preparing for this, um, this session, we were thinking that we were not going to be preparing a fixed set of um, statements because you really wanted to respond to the teachers and now we feel like we should have taken notes because you, <laughs> because you, you made so many great points. And um, I might just want to um, um, say a little bit of um, the word of innovation and disruption because that is this is the topic of our session and that has come up in, in your talks and then maybe we can you know, have a discussion, the two of us and then with you together. So um, I really like what you said at the beginning how we have to be adaptive to the different systems because what may be an innovation in one system might not be, one in, might not be an innovation in another. So it's always subjective to your own context. So that really um, needs to be kept in mind when we keep saying, oh, we need to innovate. What exactly do we need to innovate and what is innovation? And then talking about disruption, and I, it, it seems like you're to the, to the big overall question whether you should innovate or disrupt um, schools and classroom practices, it seems that you're both um, kind of arguing for the innovation approach rather than disrupting everything, if I understood correctly. Um, well, we can discuss this later. <laughs> uh, maybe I just wanted to hear this. <laughs> um, but so this would be actually my point of view that, um, as you said, there are so many challenges um, that teachers need to 
that teachers face and so many things they have to do that by putting another disruption into their everyday life and by asking them to change everything at the same time, I feel not only is that not going to be effective, I believe that it's going to be, there's going to be a risk of um, kind of putting too much burden on their shoulders and making them completely responsible for everything and they need proper and long-term sustainable training and education, um, of course, teacher education to, to the begin with, but then continuing education and kind of learning from each other through collaborative um, work with other teachers to really think about what other um, practices they can use, how to, in my view, slowly innovate um, instruction and um, the school as a whole. Yes. I don't know how you I, think about I, this. I also think that I, I heard an argument for innovation rather than disruption, but I think for a number of really good reasons. I think that if we are to really disrupt, it has to be at a systemic level. So we, we can't yes. come into your classroom and disrupt your classroom because there are so many structures in place that prevent that from happening. So at least two places where we would need uh, real disruption in order to change things at a faster pace than we're able to do now would be in teacher education. So not just professional development while you're uh, in practice, but actually changing the way that teachers are taught pre-service and integrating technologies at that point when teachers are just starting to, to learn uh, pedagogical techniques and, and understand how to use them along with technology in the classroom. And then secondly, at the government level, if we are in a system in which uh, the incentive structures are rigid, where, uh, where the standardized testing structures are in place and, and, and teachers are really committed to making sure that those objectives are fulfilled, there is no possibility for disruption in, until we change those structures at an administrative level. So I think technologies can work in innovation, they can work in disruption, but unless we think about the system as a whole, uh, we're not going to make much progress. So, so I think uh, um, teacher professional development and, and teacher education is one place where there's not enough focus on how uh, to build technologies that really support teachers, and that's a place where um, innovation could really take place in, in the next set of years, and, and that's something that I'm particularly interested in in my research is making sure we support teachers in um, understanding how to change their practice in ways that they'd really like uh, to move. Yeah, so the idea here is that we have a conversation now, more open conversation freestyle. Uh, maybe I'll start off with maybe a question um, around that. So have you seen some examples of concrete research put into practice, both from the research side that you maybe could share, it could be around teacher professional development, and then from the teacher perspective, how do you use um, the research to inform your actual practice? I can start. Uh, I want to answer that question as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's interesting. Uh, and I think it... I think it goes hand in hand with your question as well. So pre-service teachers, the ones that go through the on-the-job training and internship or whatever you want to call it, the first and foremost is you want the most professional group of teachers possible. So they need to be coming in, such as doctors, such as engineers, the status needs to be up there, but they need to be coming in and feeling like they can make the changes that they need to in the classroom 
and not feeling like it's a bunch of checkboxes that they need to fill out. So we know of systems that they get the lesson plan, minute one, this is what you're doing, minute two, this is what you're doing, minute three, this is what you're doing. And everybody's supposed to follow the same lesson plan. Now, in some systems where it might not be a professional workforce, you might need that originally, okay? But as you're moving on, you want the most professional workforce possible. So when we're looking at pre-service, and Amy hit it right on the nail, when we're looking at pre-service, part of the problem that we have with teaching is that your original internship, you get usually put into a classroom with a teacher that doesn't have any training on how to coach you to become a teacher and doesn't have any link with the actual academics at the school, and then you might get visited three or four times for evaluation. So then how are you expecting to train a professional workforce and then they come out of that internship with their bachelor's degree and all of a sudden, you're the world's expert in, you gotta go into your classroom and you're gonna get the worst class possible, but good luck. <laughs> and then they expect within three years that we're gonna stay on for a pay that really doesn't make any sense in many countries around the world and take that. So if you actually do the pre-service properly and then continue the professional development properly, then you're looking at a lot better possibilities. In the professional development, any master teacher, any really good teacher, they're gonna be asked to go to school leadership. Why don't you keep them in the classroom? That's what they're excellent at. So if they're excellent at that, why don't you have them do pre-service teaching? Why don't you have them bring in 15, 20 different teachers and help with that pedagogy? To me, from the ground up, that would make a lot more sense, and then let them be pracademics, practitioners, academics, and work with people like Amy and Hannah, where you're actually having action-based research that's gonna affect the classroom, and you'll have technology integration that makes sense. Mm -hmm. wanna, yeah, go ahead. Two things. Um, first, in, uh, in terms of disruption, uh, it just occurred to me, um, I belong to a community of technology innovators in the Philippines, plugging Apple Distinguished Educators. Arman is part of it. Um, anyway, what we wanted was to really target what um, Amy has mentioned, teacher education. It's just that I was part of a research agenda, like summit in the Philippines, at the University of the Philippines, and I just found out that they had a draft for the new teacher education curriculum that requires technology integration to be learned for school year 2019, not yet now. So when my group convened for something that we want to do outside our own group, we, talk, we, we, we thought of disrupting it through teacher education. So we started what we call as the disrupted PH, disrupting the Philippine education through going directly towards the future, future teachers. And we, re we didn't really talk about technology integration. It's really more of 21st century learning because that's the context of our education system in the Philippines. So yes, I agree with you, disrupting, but I feel like that disruption could really reach its point when everyone's doing it. I don't know if we can call that an innovation, right? What exactly, how exactly did the disruption look like? Like what was the, the nature of the disruption? It's, it's first, uh, it was the first um, event that we did. So uh, we had a pre-launch, we talked to student leaders from different teacher education institutions. So we asked what they want to learn that their universities or colleges are not teaching them. Okay, can I plug in just on one thing there? So when you're talking about disruptive education, the Ontario school system's been one of the best school systems in the world for the last 10 years, roughly. They've been really progressive. Yeah. They've changed the government, and now part of their curriculum 
they need to take, students need to take four courses online. Hmm. Just four courses online. How does that help hmm. competencies? Social emotional learning. The kid needs to be motivated intrinsically, hopefully, and to be able to do those courses. Some of those kids are not gonna be able to finish those courses. They're gonna be bored out of their mind, but it's because of a change of politics that they're now, this is how disruptive ed is gonna happen. The reality is education oftentimes should be apolitical. If it's yeah, apolitical yeah. and it's put in the hand of the teachers, yeah. working with academics, working with people that can bring in some help, then all of a sudden we can create the communities that we need to be able to do technology integration properly. Yeah. Right. So it sounds like that those online courses were put into place without a set of goals mm -hmm. and an understanding of, of how or without the asking teachers. And no input from the teachers. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. So disruption without any <laughs> principles in yeah. place um, yeah, doesn't, doesn't sound like a no. disruption that moves us towards that positive vision of the classroom then, of the future. I mean, maybe disruption, um, or we need disruption in the sense of the very long-term goal is like a, a different system. And I mean, yeah, but the way to get there is not uh, is not should not be disruptive. So the, you know what I'm trying to say? That yeah, the, exactly. the, yeah. It's not a bricks and, like the bricks and mortar are obviously obsolete in many ways, right? Yeah. You need the kids to be able to connect online. You need them to be yeah. able to yeah. do it face-to-face -face as well, right? Networking is important, but it's not just done online. It's done face-to-face yeah. -face yeah, yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. So the bricks and mortar obviously need to pivot. But the problem is that there's so much invested in the bricks and mortar. Mm -hmm. And there's so much invested in those schools mm -hmm. that government doesn't have the money to be able to just pivot. So we need to figure out how we're going to use that while at the same time have an online presence that makes sense. Right. right yeah. Me, other, yeah, go other, ahead. Yes, oh, please. Uh, you of had course. A in no, go ahead. <laughs> um, I, uh, I belong to the group of Varki teacher ambassadors, um, former teacher vice finalist, and we had the opportunity to work with Dr. Richard Churches of the Education Trust Fund um, from London, and it was a very encouraging, empowering um, experience. Um, it, we work on teacher-led researches. We're not expert researchers, but the message that I've got is that we need data to inform the decisions that we have. I mean, like, I'm not for data to dictate what's gonna happen in my classroom, but having that kind of opportunity to research on the approaches that we have, on the things, because the tendency is that um, systems, whether the government system, the education ministry, or even just the school leaders, sometimes they just, hey, use this new thing, because they've been talking about it in, in internationally or whatever, it's the new thing that I've heard in the conference. And it's always a question of whether this will go through or whether these teachers will really push for them. So having that kind of opportunity really gives, gives back the, the, the control, um, the decision power to the teachers. Because most of the time, all the, de the decisions that should be done for the classroom are not made by the teachers. And doing research is one way of putting, again, the teacher into that kind of decision-making power, right? And it fits the design thinking mindset, right? If, if every teacher is also a designer, and you walk into your classroom and you need to design for the year, the semester, the day, then you're going in empathetically and asking the right questions on how can I reach the kid. So if, if I'm going with that approach exactly like you're saying, then I'm designing for everybody, but then I need to personalize for individuals. So if I'm teaching humanities, let's say, 
I might be doing collaboration within humanities, creativity in humanities, and teaching the French Revolution at the same time, <laughs> right? So if I'm, if I'm doing that, and I might need kids that need to build resiliency, and other ones that need to be pushed because they're too lazy. So if I'm gonna personalize in that manner, I gotta figure out, okay, well, how does this work, yeah. right? So how do I create the right culture? How do I personalize it in that way? And I think that's exactly what you're saying. So I love this idea, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like citizen science, but, but uh, in the classroom. And so one of the things that I think can really help uh, you understand your own classroom and to work on innovation within that space is a set of tools that could provide the support that you need in order to do that in a systematic way. And, and so one of the things that we've been working on is um, a set of sensors in the classroom that collects a lot of data about what's happening, about teacher actions, uh, how the students react to those teacher actions. But then the critical piece of it is an app that the teachers can use afterwards uh, and actually beforehand, where they can set goals for the day, then they can, after they actually teach, look at what happened, they can evaluate their performance and what the students did, they can reflect on it, they can think about changes that they would like to make for the future, but it's really about setting your own goals and understanding the actions that you took and, and whether those goals were achieved. So my pushback on that is, yes, I, I think it's a phen <laughs> phenomenal tool, as, as a teacher, I think it would be brilliant. My f I have got two fears. One, what happens with the child's data? Mm. Because right now, around the world, you're seeing data getting stolen and used for, well, mostly right. for bad at the moment, let's be honest, <laughs> yes. right? So, yeah. so if the kid is, or the student, I should say, an 11-year-old is getting filmed and constantly filmed throughout his education, Where's that data stored? How's it being used? Who's protecting it? All those ethical questions that oftentimes, and that's why the disruptive model to me is scary. The Uber model is scary. <laughs> because we're talking about children's lives and then them getting marketed to constantly, right? That's my, yeah. that's my first disruption. So, yeah. so let me just respond to that quickly yeah. because I think it's a really important point yeah. and we really care about yeah. privacy. And this is why you need to design it into the system in the very first place. So we don't keep any of the video. We discard it immediately. So you only get a set of data points about what's happening. We never individually identify students. So things are only presented to the teacher in aggregate. So mostly what you get is your teacher data and then the aggregate of what happened with the students. So, so my, we're not. My second pushback yes. on that is, <laughs> I got two. And then and, we move on. I use, like Jim said, I use a lot of technology as well. We both do. And, and we believe in, in how it can help. But my second fear as a teacher and as a teacher professional is I truly believe that professional development is 35 years and it yes. constantly you get better. It, With that data, you say it gets erased and so on, but it's gonna go to either our districts or department or it's, mm -hmm. it's held somewhere. So I think <laughs> that that's really a great point for us to invite Mr. Uh, uh, Johi Lee, who is the former ex, uh, Minister of Education of South, South Korea. Uh, and also now the KDI School of Public Policy and Management professor. From a policy perspective, this is a very great point, you know, around data privacy, and uh, we would love to hear your experiences in your... Ex so maybe... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to take sides with them, but... <laughs> 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 yeah. So uh, 
it's great to hear uh, from uh, the teachers about the limitation and problems of current system. I totally agree with it. Uh, and also the, from the researchers, uh, what we are, uh, what should, what we should aiming at. Right? So uh, I think the, the in current system, uh, it is seriously lacking that uh, we really have to make all those uh, enthusiastic and passion, passionate uh, players in education to work together to achieve the same goal. I think there are uh, several big ideas uh, that could be really good uh, if they can be implemented uh, uh, in a systemic and coherent way. So uh, why don't we think about uh, the way we can uh, turn those big ideas into action, uh, making those uh, passionate people working together? So. <laughs> <laughs> So there is one example. Uh, we really have to uh, strike the balance. Uh, the first balance is between uh, education technologies and pedagogies. So we all agree that there is a, a, a big potential uh, of education technologies, but uh, technology alone cannot uh, make impactful change. We all agree. Right? Uh, so uh, these techno technologies is so-called uh, require a digital transformation, meaning that we really do uh, redefine the industry. So digital transformation in mobility uh, changed the whole industry, like car industry and so forth. So uh, this digital technologies, uh, employing AI and so forth, really require education. Uh, we should redefine education totally in a different way. Uh, that means from, the, from teacher education and, and, uh, and assessment, everything should be changed. But if we really want to make those kind of big transformation, we really have to show to the parents and people uh, which could work well and which could not work. So we really start to think about uh, kind of prototyping uh, approach. We, have a big idea, then slice it uh, thin, and then uh, uh, try it uh, step by step and learn from uh, each step and, and, and share the, the experience right? and, uh, and through the rigorous researches. Right? So, but we rarely, we, can, we cannot do this in each country. So one example is uh, what I call uh, uh, high-touch, high-tech. So the powerful uh, idea of high-touch, high-tech is that when you embrace technologies, uh, the real advantage of uh, technologies like AI is that you can free up uh, teachers' time. So teachers really don't need to, uh, to, to teach, uh, deliver the knowledge contents to students. They can just focus on what they really want to do, human touches, human connections, mentorings. But you really need to embrace technologies, right? Otherwise, otherwise only very enthusiastic and very uh, energetic teacher can do. Maybe you can do this, but uh, uh, it cannot uh, be scalable and it cannot be sustainable. So uh, the good idea could be uh, one, one feasible idea, promising idea could be high touch and high tech. Right? Then uh, how we can show that this, this will really work? So one example is that Education Commission, I'm Education Commissioner, uh, led, the Education Commission is led by uh, Gordon Brown, uh, the former uh, Prime Minister of the UK, and we have uh, some global leaders uh, there. 
And we started to uh, have a prototype project in Vietnam. So we pick up a uh, 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 seventh grade student, and we uh, uh, invited four middle schools, uh, four teacher colleges, and worked together with Arizona State University. They already uh, have experimented with adaptive and active learning, and they already benefited uh, 65,000 students there. So they uh, uh, went to Vietnam to teach teachers about this. And uh, KDI school professors are, are going to evaluate uh, the, the, the results. But this is on, only prototype, right? just only uh, seventh grade mathematics. But we can uh, learn a lot from this experience. And I think uh, Korea cannot do this, U mm. US cannot do this, but maybe Vietnam can do this. So we can, we can give a developing country a huge chance of leapfrogging by uh, making them explore new path rather than uh, assisting them to follow the traditional path. So uh, this kind of thing can be organized globally. Farki Foundation could do this. Many uh, foundations here in this uh, seminar can actually help them to co-design this kind of bold experiment. Rather than just piecemeal approach, maybe you can just have a big idea and, and separate them uh, into uh, actionable plans and, and try them in different countries. And, and maybe you can have a global a platform to share the experience about this experiment and learn from each other. And this kind of uh, huge chances are now uh, it's missing, but maybe we can, we can uh, collectively make an action right now. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's off. Um, it seems that uh, you know, collaboration is critical. Do you guys have any questions uh, directly here and want to intervene here? I just think maybe to yeah. add to um, the, just how students need guidance as they um, learn, I think teachers also need guidance to use these new technologies to, in their own work. Yeah. So they need experts to help them become experts at using these technologies yeah. mm -hmm. for their students and also for themselves. So the teacher education is really critical, uh, but at the same time, uh, we, we need a good project to show the people and parents this is really working. So I think he's right on that in terms of it, part of the issue that we're having with innovation is not just teachers wanting to use technology integration properly or teach competencies. It's that the community as a whole have all gone through the education system. So mm -hmm. by all going through the education system, they all believe they're experts, right? That's the norm. Any teacher that sits down at a table will get an earful from anybody that <laughs> wants to give their opinion about education and researchers as well, right? Researchers as well. So how do we build the greater community? How do we build the greater community to participate in the education in a, in a respectful way that we are pushing innovation? And, and what he was saying with the Education Commission and with their innovation that they're doing, it's a holistic approach where everybody's involved and teachers get to try different things while at the same time test things. So, if you're looking at mathematics, which is, which is a great subject to look at, AI is a great tool in this situation where, as a teacher, you might be teaching to the whole class looking at mass impact on building bridges, let's say. Mm -hmm. But you might have three kids that can't do the scaffolding for multiplications. Well, that's where the technology integration can help out because you can now put them on an iPad or a tablet of some sort 
They can learn the multiplication tables, get tested multiple times, see if they really understand it, then put them back into the group. It's a bit like sports or music. If everybody in the band or everybody in the orchestra is playing, and this is a shout out to my fellow teacher, Mark Reed here, if they can't play the clarinet properly, the orchestra ain't gonna sound good. Mm -hmm. So you need to pull them aside, teach them the skills, and then yeah. put them back in, right? Yeah, and that's the important thing. Put them back in and build a community of learners exactly. and of the whole classroom again and have this group context. Yeah. So the reality of public policy in education is that you are, you are spending too much on existing system. Mm. So expanding the existing system and, and just modifying a little bit about existing system. But we all know existing system has a lot of limitations. They fail a lot of students. I was minister of South Korea, regarded as to have uh, the best system, education system in the world, but we fail a lot of students, despite the huge investment in education. Our teachers in Korea are top 1% of students in, in high schools. So top 1%, they are the best of the best, but they still are not properly educated to help teachers to be successful in the classroom. Because the, this current system is, so Korean system is failing, then all the other country system is failing. But why not investing a little more on change, changing the system rather than just uh, maintaining the system? So it's a pushback on that, just, just a bit of pushback. <laughs> it's, well, a bit of pushback, I, I'm a teacher. <laughs> yeah. it, it feels like education, like if we're looking at a nuanced approach, it feels like education's the only solution. But the reality in that situation is, Early childhood education really depends on, on social policy, not on education policy, right? So do you have a really good healthcare system? Are they gonna get support from social workers? Are they gonna get enough money to be able to buy books so that they're actually doing early childhood literacy, right? That's not the education system fault. That's actual social programs within the... It's a good... No, no. <laughs> but... but uh, we also care about social policies, and we policymakers discuss a lot about social policies, especially when we are addressing the, the side effects of globalization and, and the concerns about the future. But rarely we talk about education, actually. Mm. At the global level, there are many global leaders talking about the importance of collaboration in, in, in finance, collaboration in social policy, but they rarely talk about collaboration in education. Why we don't we collectively uh, make an effort to explore new paths in education. Mm -hmm. I don't really he hear a voice I about this. I think, <laughs> I think when, when Amy was presenting earlier today, she yeah. was making a point how um, everything needs to be contextualized and or adapted to the different contexts, yeah, especially, yeah. I mean, education, these are social institutions that have developed for a really long time in different contexts. And so the logic of these social institutions is very hard to change and it, it's very unique. And so I think sometimes, even though we can share experiences and ideas, I don't know if it's as easy as, you know, putting out a new medicine for a disease mm. on a global scale, because you can really not have a, like a prescribed medicine for education, you have to adapt it to the very specific context. I agree, it's very, very difficult. But that's, that is not the reason why we, have, we don't have to collectively uh, make an effort to Of course, of yeah, course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think that might be one of the reasons why it is much more difficult in that area or in that field yeah. to come um, on a global 
um, scale rather than, you know, in, I don't know, health, for example, where it, it might be easier. But I think we also need to keep in mind what percentage of the day children are actually in school. So in school yeah. time is only one small part of the educational ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And this is, again, where parents, communities, yeah. uh, other yeah. opportunities for learning come into play. And there are ways that we can enhance that with technology as yeah, well. It's better policy <laughs> education than it is parents, right? But it's yes. a lot easier to policy education than it is exactly. parents. Exactly. So, yeah. um, on that note, um, again, um, pushing my agenda as coming from a developing country. We <laughs> talk about AI and everything. Yeah. I agree AI could really help teachers be more efficient mm -hmm. and focus on the things that would matter, right? <laughs> Building connection, making relationship, all those things because a positive learning environment, studies have shown, could really help students to become better in the classroom. But the question on accessibility, because um, we have mentioned a while ago, most of the time innovations are not sustainable, financially sustainable. And how do we bring that conversation to the ground level, right? Um, I've, I've experienced working with a few technology innovators here Alex and Charles, I don't know if you've heard. They've been working with the Department of Education and really bringing down AI level on, on, on the level that is very, uh, it could be easily understood by the teacher mm -hmm. and accessible by, with what the local government has, well, talking about funding. So not a pushback, but something that we might need to think about. Um, it's technology has been really that, the idea of technology, ICT, is to bridge the gap. But UNESCO has even mentioned that that is not really what's happening. Technology has been widening the gap in reality. So I'm all for disruption, I'm all for innovation, but let's not leave other countries, mm -hmm. other communities behind. No matter what, I, 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 we can think about a lot of policies and everything, but I do hope that the message that we have is to bring everyone together, mm -hmm. right? Together in that in that world that we want to live in. Through current system, through just maintaining current system, it's really hard to uh, uh, benefit every student. Yeah. Many students are failing in this system. So why not embracing technologies? There are few very promising uh, areas where technology can really uh, help uh, wide, widening the access uh, and also uh, make every child uh, to be uh, equipped with the skills they need to thrive in work and life. So, uh, but this is uh, just a big idea yeah. now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Never been implemented in a coherent yeah. and systematic way. Uh, so that's what yeah. I mean. Yes. Thank you. Let's 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 see if the, uh, maybe the audience also has some questions and want to engage in this lively conversation. Yes, please go ahead. Oh, do we have a? Do I give you the mic? Maybe there's another. Can you just pass me? Thank you. Yes. Hello. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you know th there's been some really good discussion there in regards to what's the role of, of teacher in, in edtech, what's the role of the expert. Um, so just to give you kind of an idea of what what edtech companies do, uh, especially when they're trying to get into schools and in front of the teacher. Actually, the first the first point of contact, the first exposure to edtech. Uh, is actually the teacher. Uh, you know, very rarely do we do we expose it first to the expert in in ed tech or the minister of education. Uh, actually, they probably come a bit later. 
So, so for us, you know, as, uh, as Zish, as a company, we learn a lot from teachers. Uh, and then, you know, off that feedback, then we try to work with governments and we try to work with the experts to then try and get the right PD that would help best for, for teachers. But it's, there is a massive gap. You know, a lot of the work is being done by the edtech companies to bridge, bridge that gap. But I think, you know, as governments, as teachers, and as experts, we could do a lot more to, to bridge it. Um, so I think there is kind of that point of discussion there. I've got some kickback on it and some approval on it. <laughs> I got both. And, and global uh, collaboration, I totally yeah. agree with yeah, you. Yeah. It's just oftentimes teachers aren't invited to the discussion. This yeah. is one of the only forums we're invited to the discussion. <laughs> okay. So if we're invited to the discussion, we'll have something to say. But EdTech, I've got two pushbacks. One, in strong public education systems, I actually think the software designers and the technology specialists should be part of the education system, mm -hmm. not on the outside. Right? Yes. So, and, and the reason for that is because then we design hand in hand together. And then it's actually the whole group that's together, the Minister of Education, the department, the districts, but that isn't sexy to ed tech because that doesn't make profits. Then my pushback on it is, I actually do think that it should go through the teachers first because the teachers need to try it out and see if it's worth it or not. Because if it comes from the Minister of Education first and we're not gonna use it, then it's a waste of money. Right? So if it's a waste of money, that's money that could have been integrated in rural education or could have been integrated in yeah. arts or so on and so forth. That's what policymakers have to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, maybe uh, if you make uh, edutech edu experts and teachers work together, maybe uh, education technology experts can, uh, don't have enough incentive. So that's, that's how uh, government policies can make them uh, work together through incentive, different incentive schemes. For example, in, in UK, they provide a voucher to each, mm. each, each schools. The schools can pay the uh, experts to work together. Right? Mm -hmm. So that kind of, of uh, yeah. systems, uh, policy, policies can, uh, can nurture the ecosystem where edutech experts collaborate actively with teachers. Great, so maybe we take two questions and then we summarize in here. Uh, these two on this side is easier maybe to reach the microphone. Yeah, go ahead, please. Hi there. Um, my name is Adam Maybe it's not on. Yeah. Working? Yeah, working. Awesome. My name is Ajman Sitar. Uh, I run an organization called Small Economy Works, and we work with uh, schools in hard-to-reach places across Canada. Um, we've primarily worked with indigenous people in Canada's high Arctic, and we created a three-year course around social innovation, social enterprise, and learning the skills that you're talking about. We co-created the whole thing with students and teachers, mm -hmm. and we were hired to co-create and iterate for a whole year. Okay. Now we're in a position where we're starting to deal with this issue of the teachers who have taught in a certain way for so long, not fully buying in. And if we go direct to the students, which is not sustainable, everything is going great. So what does the systems change look like when teachers who are overworked and don't have time to upskill themselves to learn the new technology become these entrepreneurial, self-driven leaders themselves to instill that within their students. Should we take the next one and then we respond just to have more time for more questions, please? Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Farshida Zafar. I'm from the Erasmus University in the Netherlands. I'm a law and technology professor. 
Um, at the same time, I am one of those tech geeks who actually builds her own platforms. So I've built several educational applications for formative testing with games or whatever. Um, I would like to push back on the idea that going digital would save teachers time. I mean, the investment I have to make before I can even use the products that software engineers bring to me, it costs me way more time than actually going and standing in front of a class and having my teachers listen to me or having my students listen to me. So what would you say would be a better way of having teachers more engaged with technology? I believe that teaching teachers about technology Everybody has their own cup of tea. Some teachers just need to stick to the old guns. And other teachers, tech geeks like I, we need to go and do our own thing. So what, what do you think about that? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, please, Let's, there's two questions. I think you're gonna go for the first one or the second one? Second one. Okay, so he's gonna answer the first one. Go ahead. So when I was a minister, I'm, I was very, I mean, the, was very ambitious and asked teachers a lot of things. And the teachers are complaining that you are just adding one and one and one more, <laughs> so that they, they were too much burdened, right? So, uh, so the, the key issue uh, in, in making a change in education is the balancing the burden of teachers. Otherwise, uh, teachers cannot uh, uh, deliver all the, 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 the missions. Uh, so, so that's why I really uh, take notice of the possibility of education technology to reduce the burden. I agree that in current system, it's, it's almost impossible. So that's why we really have to rethink whole education system, redefine education system, and so start with small project that can really uh, reduce uh, teacher burden, and at the same time, make them embrace the technology. Okay, go ahead, yeah, please. Um, so for the first question, uh, my honest answer, have you heard of um, digital di uh, dinosaurs? <laughs> um, I usually refer to teachers who do not really want to do technology. So what happened with dinosaurs, they go extinct. So sometimes if they don't really want to use technology, you cannot force them. Uh, what I do as a professional development um, trainer for my school is that I really go with my friends. Right? If you want to immediately work on something, go with your friends, those who share the same mindset and passion. Um, at some point, you will really, really encounter teachers who will say no to technology or whatever. And uh, sometimes you cannot blame them because it's the mindset that they have. It's always good to go back. That's why I pointed out a while ago, if schools have technology vision, technology integration vision or program, and the school leaders are for it and the teachers are for it, then everything is ideal. But sometimes you will encounter teachers. And sometimes if you ask those teachers, there are reasons behind it. Sometimes they're afraid of what they don't know. And second, they don't have the learning mindset anymore. Because some, uh, lifelong learning has never been for teachers. That's very ironic. We teach learning and teaching. But sometimes teachers do not model a learning mindset, right? So that, that's my honest question. Let's them, let them go extinct. <laughs> However, yeah. sorry, that, that's a, that's a yeah. joke. Uh, third one, uh, the, the real <laughs> answer is that um, approach them as, as a person, as a teacher, get to know them, context behind all those things. Um, there's no one-shot answer to this. It's really more connecting with the teacher, and once you get to know the teacher, then work with the teacher, and hopefully things will go well. All right, we have time for two more. Let's take here and here. 
Hi, my name is Hassan and I run an ad tech company based in Pakistan. Uh, so my question is about a lot of your pushbacks. Um, so we, whenever we uh, pitch our products to the government or school teachers, we do get this pushing back mentality. So my idea or my question to you is, uh, why don't we see it in other fields like finance, accounting, and other uh, fields where technology has come in? And the people who were in those functions or uh, those verticals, they were, uh, you know, they found those technology tools and they adopted them far quickly. Then you see the same level of adoption in schools. So is it something to do with the mindset or is it really something to do with the systemic structure of education like the minister has mentioned? No. I mean, there's two ways to answer that. One, all three questions are connected. Innovation fatigue is real and particularly with teachers. Every year, curriculum changes. And, and in some systems, you're drop bombs all the time. So, oh, this week we need to do this because this happened. Or, oh, this week we need to do this because that happened. And within a one month time frame, you might have had three changes in the curriculum. That all of a sudden, it's not even part of the curriculum, but you need to do this. So that's one, innovation fatigue. There's been constant change. Constant, constant, constant change with no results. Because it's designed not with great pedagogical approaches, and neuroscience behind it, it's approached by technology disruptive model, which is what my pushback against is, if, if that's how you're approaching it, you're trying to solve an issue that you believe we have, but that it does not exist, right? So for us, because what we're doing is we're reaching the kids, and teaching is not just a science, and one of the reasons why all those other industries do, because it ends up being the bottom line, and the bottom line is about making money. Teaching, not about making money. Teaching is about teaching holistically to the child so that they can flourish in life. And if that's the case, it's not just about learning the content. It's about social emotions. It's about making sure we develop competencies. It's about we make sure we develop skills. So that's a whole other context. And if we have one thing coming in from the ed tech world, well, imagine all the other things that we're getting hit by at the same time and then we're expected to drop it. And if you design your own software, phenomenal, because you can actually design what you need, mm. right? I, I can't, I need to go reach out and help. I know it's not, <laughs> right? So for me, it's easier to do pen and paper. Yeah. And it's easier to say hello to the kid as they walk in and say, what's wrong? Yeah. Right? right? Yeah, so, so I agree. <laughs> we have one more question, so, uh, we have one more question. <laughs> so uh, just, just one comment. Okay, yeah. yeah. We really need a coherent uh, systemic uh, change management. Yeah. I agree that all countries make teachers too much burdened and, and tired of changes that are really not consistent. Yeah. And we really need long-term long commitment, globally and nationally. Yeah. 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 Great. So last question. <laughs> I get the last one. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to push back a little bit. A <laughs> so first of all, we all need to relax. And what I mean by that, let's understand something. Education technologies didn't exist 10, 12 years ago. Okay, it takes time. It takes patience. Second point to make is, I think you two gentlemen are Apple Distinguished Educators. Well, I built Apple Distinguished Educator Program at Apple between 2004 and 2009. That ecosystem already exists. We beat Microsoft, and my colleague here, Diane, used to work for Microsoft, but we beat Microsoft because we understood that if we controlled the staff room, if we empowered the staff room, then things would happen. 
And it is you guys who taught Apple to be a trillion-dollar value business. They're not today share price, but a trillion-dollar business. So there are organizations out there. Second point I want to make is about data. The model already exists to change data. You can put data in the hands of the individual, not in the hands of Google or Apple or Amazon Web Services or Alibaba. So that model already exists. So let's just relax. Let's just accept that we're on a journey, that research is important, but research follows trends. It doesn't establish trends. It is the teachers who establish trends. And I would like to compliment the minister because he's the one with the imagination, the capability to make decisions to empower. So my question to you is, let's form an independent organization like the Apple Distinguished Educators that listens to the staff room, that brings together thought leadership, that allows research to analyze what it is, and empowers people. Comment, please. I think that was phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who would like to start? Um, Maybe a couple, yeah, time for a couple, a couple of different people can answer this. It's a complex question. <laughs> What's uh, the question? The question was around, the, you know, yeah. how can we build this sort of, you know, group of people who are thinking about this in mm. a collaborative way? Um, let's, let's be clear with the, the shared vision. What's the common goal in, in building this kind of community? Um, I've, I've been talking to some Varky teacher ambassadors who's been involved with EdTech. And at some point, we, we really distance ourselves from communities based on brands. Why? Because they've been pushing and pushing their own agenda. They've been talking about the tools, tools, tools. At some point, we felt that the learner is even the product already. And we had that kind of, of, of reflection, Mio and Hannah there. We had that kind of reflection when we were able to experience EdTech as EdTech itself, the good and the bad. We're not EdTech experts. We're teachers trying to use technology in the classroom. We're not software experts or whatever. We would like to work with you, uh, but make sure that you listen to what the teachers are saying. I'm sure I have your own business models. We would respect that, but if things go head on, my, my loyalty is with my students, not with any brand, what, not with any company. And, uh, and I think that's very, very uh, important to really recognize. Um, if we want to build a community, who's at the center? That's a question. If we want to build a community, when we bring in companies and experts, are they, ready, are they ready to give a profit or whatever? Because Arman is correct. There's no money in teaching, right? <laughs> Teachers don't have money. We don't have yeah. a research and we development have, field. Yeah. We right. will work so, so let's get another we'll opinion. With, yeah. Do you want to, who else? You want to comment, Armand? Yeah, or I'll, I'll do you comment want to minister? We, we never said that Professor Jewel Lee was yeah. wrong. <laughs> Global collaboration, we agree with. Yeah. Uh, and, but, and we also agree with Hannah and Amy in terms of that it's nuanced depending yeah. on the system. Uh, where we struggle as teachers is, you know, there's so many teachers around the world, millions and millions, we're the only two standing yeah. here. So we're trying, to, we're trying to help the teaching profession while getting our voices out. We don't get these opportunities. This is one of the only forums in the world that we get an opportunity to speak up, yes. right? And what you're thinking about an independent education commission makes total sense to us. But then it goes back to our systems. How do we free up our time? How do we travel? How do we get there? How do we, and I know there's, I know there's technological situations that can help that out. 
we already do some of that. I get up at three in the morning to have meetings with friends that are in China or friends that are elsewhere. Yeah. So, I mean, we get it. Yeah. It's how are we going to do it, that's the question. So unfortunately, we've <laughs> run out of time, but I'm sure there's gonna be plenty of opportunity elsewhere to discuss this.